Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF. I'm thrilled to be here today. Uh, I'm by myself. I'm not with either of my co-hosts, not with Ben Mizellis or with Michael Popak, who's on vacation. But I am going to be joined by two incredible, incredible special guests today. Uh, Scarlett Lewis, who is the fierce mom who faced down Alex Jones last week after losing her beautiful six-year-old son, Jesse, in the Sandy Hook massacre. And uh, and I'm also joined by the woman who brought us together today, Elizabeth Rome, who is um, she's just this amazing woman who's an actor and a director and a philanthropist. And she's done incredible work and she's working with Scarlett to bring together this message of love and healing and nurturing. And uh, they're just two of the most fascinating women I've, I've ever met. And I have to first start before we go into talking to these amazing women about the fact that the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago yesterday, which I can't believe this finally happened. Uh, So I just want to mention it and talk a little bit about what it is and what it means. As we know uh, from the reporting, there are at least three grand juries that are sitting and hearing evidence about the former president. One has to do with the January 6th insurrection. Another has to do with uh, Georgia and the Fonnie Willis matter that she's also investigating about find the 11,780 votes. And the third has to do with Presidential Records Act and classified documents that we've heard Trump took boxes of documents that he's not supposed to take. Some of them are classified to Mar-a-Lago and out of the White House. The reporting is that the latter, the Presidential Records Act and the classified documents investigation, that that's what the subpoena, uh, I'm sorry, the search warrant, excuse me, was related to uh, at Mar-a-Lago yesterday. And so that's the case that seems to be heating up and the most ripe. It's very interesting uh, when I saw that because, you know, the, the Department of Justice had an option here. Do we subpoena the documents from the former president, or do we do a search warrant? And a search warrant is much more aggressive. What you're basically saying is, I don't trust you to turn over the documents. I don't trust you that you won't destroy the documents. And to get a search warrant, it's not just a piece of paper that you print out on the computer. You have to actually have probable cause that a crime occurred and that there's evidence of that crime that you believe that evidence will be found in the particular location. You have to describe the crime. You have to describe the evidence. You have to describe the location with particularity. You have to go before a judge and you have to swear in front of this judge that you have this probable cause for this information. And the judge has to rule on this document and give you the search parameters. 
And then once you have the warrant, you can execute the warrant. And that's what they did here. And I all I could think about was the coordination between federal agencies that had to occur, because this was the FBI that uh, that executed the search warrant. They had to coordinate with the Secret Service who guard Mar-a-Lago and the former president and, you know, go in there. And, and Trump claims that it was under siege and there was a raid and they went into a safe and all these other inflammatory, uh, this other inflammatory language that is used to delegitimize law enforcement, frankly. Uh, but here we are, you know, we have FBI director Chris Ray, who was appointed by Trump, is the is leading this investigation. And I'm sure Merrick Garland also is the um, saw and, and approved of this. And, you know, let, let's sort of let's see where this goes. You know, let's see um, whether a, a, whether they bring charges against Trump. I do think this is a major escalation. And I do, do think that if they weren't at least seriously considering bringing charges against him, they would not have escalated uh, to this point. Um, one, one thing I, I do think is interesting is they are really leaning into the fact that he may have taken classified documents, which obviously can put our national security in jeopardy, et cetera. But the the thing that I found sort of interesting was the president can declassify documents. And we know that he declassified lots and lots of documents. So it'll just be sort of interesting to see that interplay about what he declassified, what he didn't, what he took, what he didn't, and just what happens when... Um, <clears throat> when this investigation continues and proceeds. So that that's all I wanted to just mention about Trump. I think this is an astonishing, mo just monumental, uh, monumental event that has taken place and a major, um, major move forward for the Department of Justice. I'd like to um, now turn to the main event of today and the reason why I'm here uh, at, at with my guests, who I'm just absolutely feel so honored that um, Scarlett Lewis and Elizabeth Rome have uh, agreed to join Legal AF and tell their story today. Uh, Scarlett is um, is one of the most extraordinary women I've I've ever encountered. I've been doing research on her in preparation for today. And, and, you know, I cried, I smiled, I, I felt, you know, tears of just tears of joy and sadness in her story. Uh, everybody who watches the show knows that I was a prosecutor for many, many years at the Manhattan DA's office. And I unfortunately, um, spent my career, I, should, I say unfortunately, but fortunately, uh, dealing with violent crime, uh, homicide, sexual assaults, that sort of thing. And I've met with countless of uh, survivors of violent crime and family members uh, who are survivors of horrific violence. And, and it's always incredible to see how people react to these tragedies. And and Scarlett is just one of the strongest women I've ever I've ever encountered. Just the what she endured on December 14th, 2012. Uh, she and her beautiful son, JT, um, who is the brother of Jesse Lewis, uh, lost and, and her and her and and his father lost uh, little six year old Jesse Lewis on that day in Newton, Connecticut. Uh, at the Sandy Hook Elementary School, where 20 children and six adults were viciously and savagely murdered by Adam Lanza. 
And the the story, uh, this was over nine years ago. And at the time that it happened, the whole world grieved alongside of you, Scarlett. But just seeing what you've done in the time since that happened and what you are doing to just truly try and, and change the world is beyond incredible. And I want to talk about your work. And that's why Elizabeth Rome is here too. Elizabeth is, um, you might recognize her because she's, uh, she's an award-winning or uh, just very acclaimed actress for television and film. Some of my favorite uh, television shows, Law and Order and American Hustle. And, you know, I was, I, I, so you, I'm sure you all recognize her, um, but she's also a director and a philanthropist and an author, and she's done all, um, incredible work. And Elizabeth and Scarlett are working on a project together that I'm going to let them talk about. Um, and, uh, but it's one of the, as I said, one of the more inspiring things I've ever, I've ever encountered. Um, but before we talk about this incredible work that you're doing, Scarlett, I hope you don't mind. Uh, first of all, welcome to Legal AF. It's so great to have you here. But I, I, I just got to talk to you about what happened last week. It's just incredible. Scarlett is the brave warrior who faced Alex Jones in court last week. So tell us about that experience and what that was like. Well, thanks so much for having us, Karen. It's so nice to meet you. I'm I'm looking at the network that you're posting this podcast on. It's Midas Touch because truth is golden. And that was definitely a theme in the Alex Jones trial over the last two weeks about truth. He tried to spin that the trial was about the First Amendment, freedom of speech, but it actually wasn't about that at all. It was about lying and and not being able to perpetrate uh, a falsehood that intentionally damages someone and, and someone's reputation. And so... Uh, I was, uh, a, you know, I know that uh, Jesse's dad had been talking for years about the moment that he was going to face Alex Jones and uh, and and the courage that that was going to take. Um, and it turned out that that Alex was not in court when Neil testified. However, he came in when I testified, and so I found myself facing Alex Jones, literally face to face, looking at him at the uh, sitting at the defendant's table up on the witness stand. And uh, I will tell you that the two weeks was absolutely grueling. Uh, it was just a, a very difficult experience um, from day one, you know, just trying to find uh, my, my grounding in what was actually happening. Are we really here in a courtroom bringing a, a, a an adult man uh, to to justice who has perpetrated uh, lies for almost ten years that Sandy Hook never happened, that it was a false flag, that I am a crisis actress, uh, perhaps hired by our government to take away people's guns? Um, 
that I am deep state, that Jesse never existed, that he was seen in different places, including uh, in another tragedy in a different country. I mean, all of these crazy, really conspiracy theories. And, um, you know, I'm all about questioning things. And I think it's really important, actually, that we question things. And I can actually even see a, a need for for Alex Jones and and his platform and and what he does but you know the the questioning part of journalism is to try to find the truth and that was not what he was doing in the case of Sandy Hook because the reports were out the truth was out yet um he didn't spend any time looking for it so it was just like so surreal for me to be sitting there and 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 everything that was going on it was very difficult tell tell us what so when how soon after uh the shooting did alex jones start saying the things he was saying that it never happened uh it was on that day um he was beginning to question the circumstances around the shooting and saying that it looked like a false flag and what was that like for you for you and your family, for your son and um, Jesse's dad, just all of you, what was that like? You know, I was describing in court that um, after the tra- directly after the tragedy, you are in complete shock and you are trying to figure out how you're literally going to survive if and how. And uh, I hadn't even actually gone home. I had gone to my mom's house and all of my family and friends from across the United States flew in. So you can imagine it was a, a very busy household. But during that following week leading up to Jesse's wake and funeral, um, there were some uh, hushed conversations going on around me. And of course, I wanted to know <laughs> what people were talking about. And and it was about, you know, somebody that was, it was Alex Jones saying that, that the tragedy never happened. And, uh, you know, this, it's, it's interesting because this perpetrates kind of a fringe of people who are really not grounded in reality. If you look at truth, truth is really our reality we have to agree on it in order to have a civil society and so you know we we saw um outcomes of this very early on um there was uh there was a westboro baptist church i think that filed permits with our town to protest the children's funerals right off the bat on the stand i was talking about looking out um almost a week later at Jesse's wake and seeing the hell's angels there with their motorcycle gear on and the logo on the back. And I'm just in such shock that I can't even really react, but to come to find out later that they were there to really keep the peace because they knew about these permits that had been filed. We had been assigned a state trooper for each of the families. There were 26 families. So each of the families had a state trooper that stayed with us 24 hours a day for a couple of months. And at one point they took all of our cell phones. And of course I needed to know why. And they said, it's just to make sure that there are no threats on your cell phone. Um, And, you know, it was just in comprehensible inconceivable to me at that point to eat i i couldn't understand 
why somebody would be threatening. And I asked the question, but of course it is inconceivable. So uh, nobody really had an answer for me. And then it just, it's, it continued on for years uh, until the present day, actually. Now, how, how long or how, and how many times, if you know, did Alex Jones perpetuate this for? Because I know he's, he claims that he now realizes that it's real and that Jesse was real and that this tragedy actually happened. Uh, but for how long did he perpetuate that horrible lie? You know, in various degrees, it's been almost nine and a half years now. We're coming up on the 10 year anniversary. And so, you know, in some form or fashion, he's continuing this to this day. He's saying that it was a sham proceeding and that, you know, the, the court wasn't real. And he has a previous attorney that's going on his show saying that everyone was scripted and we were literally reading off of a script. So, you know, he, he I, I believe, I mean, I, I sat in front of him. I looked into his eyes. I know that he knows that Sandy Hook happened and that it was real. Um, I think that uh, there was, you know, just the potential to have a lot of people tune in that that for for different reasons didn't want to believe that it was real. First of all, it's a very hard truth to think that in America, we can have a, a, a school massacre where 20 first graders are murdered murdered in two first grade classrooms and six educators. I mean, that's not anything that anyone wants to believe. And I think some people thought that they might take the easy way out by not believing it. And then there are other people that really have absolutely no trust in the government. And they really truly do believe that it didn't happen. And so, you know, here we come back to uh, because truth is golden, it is really important for us to, uh, there is a truth. And, uh, you know, I got to sit in front of Alex and look into his eyes and tell him that I am a real person, that I have a history that, you know, that Jesse did exist. This was really, really important to me as a mom, because he was such an extraordinary child and I got to have him for six years and his actions, especially his brave actions at the very end, his courage uh, to stand up to the shooter and save nine of his classmates' lives. I mean, he's known for being a hero. Tell he people that story. Tell, it's an yeah. incredible story. Tell, if you don't mind, if you could, could we spend a few minutes just talking about Jesse and I mean, what an incredible boy. He's six years old and I, I just can't get over the the just the, the name of your um, nurturing, healing love comes from him and that he knows that concept. And just tell just tell us a little bit about him and, and, and that day that sort of the her heroic, the heroic little soldier that he is and was. Yeah. So so the the first uh, memory of him and I love to share this because it gives you kind of an idea of the personality that he was, um, was right after his birth. And he was born 11 pounds. And uh, so he was a C-section and I walked to the nursery to see him. Um, he'd been whisked away. And I I saw a bunch of nurses gathered around the, the nursery window taking pictures. 
So I walked up behind them and I said, what are you taking pictures of? And they said, there's this enormous baby. And literally he was enormous because an 11 pounder is like, you know, almost twice the size of a normal six or seven pounder. And he had literally crawled down to the bottom of his see-through plastic bassinet and tried to crawl out. And so I love telling that story because that's the level of energy that he had. He was bouncing off the walls. He was always happy, always just a very, very loud voice, very boisterous. And uh, his two favorite things in the world were little yellow, uh, not not necessarily yellow, but little um, the rubber ducks you know, that you can collect. And he had almost every kind of yellow duck you could possibly imagine. And then the little army men. So when we were looking for a logo for the Choose Love movement, we knew we wanted to start in schools. And I know we'll talk about that in a moment, but we were like, hmm, yellow ducks or army men. And that's why our logo is a yellow duck. Um, but he um, he really was uh, an incredible, I mean, he, he used to, we called it patrol, the uh, the fence of this little farm that we live on in Sandy Hook. And he would literally put on an army helmet and put on army camo boots um, and go around and pretend like he was protecting us. And so it really wasn't a uh, stretch when I heard that he used his final moments, you know, a Adam Lanza, who was the former student, a really a recent grad of the Newtown school system. He had come back to the same elementary school that he had attended and where his mom had taught. He shot his way through the glass doors and he made a left down the first grade hallway. He knew the layout of the school. He had attended it. And uh, the principal of the school and a guidance counselor came out of a meeting that they were having uh, on uh, in a door on the right hand side of the hallway. So he killed them, uh, shot them dead. And then he immediately turned to his left and entered that classroom that happened to be Jesse's classroom. And everyone was scattered, uh, everybody terrified. Um, he continued to shoot kind of adult height and uh, most likely murdered Jesse's teacher before his gun ran out of bullets or jammed. I guess there's still a question about that. And during the short delay, uh, Jesse told his friends to run. And he is credited with actually saving nine of his classmates' lives before the shooter reloaded and then shot uh, Jesse in the head. He died with a single bullet hole and then the rest of the kids that were left in the room and then proceeded to the next classroom on the left um, where all of the kids had uh, congregated into the bathroom. The teacher had moved them in there to be protected. And he murdered all but one in that bathroom. That was the one was standing in the corner. And uh, then the, the uh, police came, the sirens were approaching the school. And so he ran back into um, the first classroom and then killed himself. So really he and Jesse's bodies were um, pretty close together. Uh, but that was, you know, just, you know, an amazing thing that Jesse did and something that um, I'm so proud of him for. It was really who he was. And then you have, you know, this chatter talking about how he never existed and how none of this happened. And 
um, it was really it was really more than a thorn in in the side of all of the families because this impacted all of us for almost ten years. It was really a decade of of literal bullying uh, in in every way, shape, and form. And so, so you know, other I, people, other people listened to Alex Jones and came out and what did tell us what they did to you. And but before you do that, can we just? Feel, I want to just say one other thing. Um, so Jesse, they gave him. I, I forgot what it's called, a hero's funeral or what? Commander in chief. Yeah, commander in chief uh, funeral, um, which is extraordinary honor. It's usually reserved for uh, what, like. Heads of state and returning war heroes. And and he was considered a war hero because his first grade classroom was a literal war zone. And that was such a beautiful tribute to him. Yeah. We had uh, for, uh, re first responders coming from different states to take part in his funeral. We had mounted troops at his uh, grave site. Um, we had a cavalcade of motorcycles in front of and behind his hearse that would close off intersections. People would be pulled off to the side of the road, out of their cars, um, kneeling on the ground, praying, uh, people, you know, saluting the, the hearse, you know, knowing who was coming by. It was really, really just an incredible send off for him. I love that. And, and to me, that shows all of that, uh, that can be good with people, right? You know, there are Absolutely. some really good people in the world, but so now tell us about these horrible bullies and what they did to you for the last 10 years. Well, and it's not, you know, I might just say, it's not just me and Jesse's father uh, and Jesse's brother, uh, older brother, but it was, you know, the other families as well. Um, they, they sent uh, emails uh, left messages on our phones, um, threatening, uh, you know, they, they actually, um, shot at Neil's house with a gun. And, you know, if it's done to one of the families, I mean, really, we may not, the families may not agree on everything. I mean, we didn't know each other before the tragedy. Um, but really we are connected in our loss forever and so if it happens to one of the families, you know, it plants a seed of fear in in your own head. And so, of course, you know, I had that with my older son. I mean, he had emails that were CC'd to all sorts of different people, politicians, his educators, um, you know, questioning who he was and uh who, you know, taking little bits and pieces from my previous life, uh, enough to be kind of, you know, really weirded out by it. Um, why was your mom uh, on a, can you tell me why your mom lived on a commune in Tennessee? And, you know, she attended a Grateful Dead concert in 1984. And what, who, who is your father? It's not this person. It could be this person. And uh, having, you know, the names of my family members all scrambled up, clearly not someone that was working from a full deck of, of cards, I guess, as it's, as, uh, as you say, and it's, it, um, it's very unsettling. So what, so, so what made you bring the Alex Jones case? What were you hoping to get out of it? 
Because I know you sued for what 150 million, and I think you got 49 million, but there's a, a cap in Texas about how much you can actually get. Um, wh- why was he? Why did you? Did you have to sue him in Texas? Is that why it was in Texas? Um, no, he's from Austin, mm-hmm. and so that's why we chose to sue him there. Um, you know, for a while, I think that maybe everyone that's bullied goes through maybe some of this process unless you stand up to your bully right away, you think, well, if I ignore it, then it's going to go away. And I think uh, sometimes it does. But in this case, it didn't. It didn't stop. And so we felt the need to make it stop. And we really, you know, it wasn't about the money. It was really about the message. And, uh, you know, as far as the money goes, there's an appeal, there's a bankruptcy, there's a whole bunch of families suing behind us. So there may not be any money, but the message was clear. And that is the importance of truth in our society. And that we we are bound by truth. We we can't go off and say whatever we want about other people that's harmful to them. And I think that we had been going down that path. And I think that I, I really truly believe that this will reverse that course. And I think that it is so vitally important for our society, especially where we are now. So do you feel a sense of relief? I do feel a sense of relief um, that it that it's over uh, for me. Um, I know that he he went on his show during the entire two weeks. In fact, the majority of his time was spent on his show talking about what was going on in court. I mean, there were just some incredibly uh, really crazy moments in the courtroom with me having to pinch myself like is this real where uh our attorneys produced a picture that he had created with lady justice and the two judges that were trying his case the one in texas and one in connecticut on fire um just some other antics that went on that were really kind of unbelievable But I will say that it did, you know, when I was looking at Alex, and this is probably not the response that you would think that I would have, but I really did see someone who had no one, you know, he had no one show up to testify for him. By the time that I was able to address him um, from the witness stand, I was uh, I was the last witness and then Alex was going on. So, you know, I'd been sitting in the courtroom now for a week and a half. And so I watched everything that went on. I, I was watching when he would get up. Um, well, actually that was after on the stand and you're just thinking you're just your, your, you're your own worst enemy. And then on top of that, no one came, no one testified on his behalf no one. And, uh, you know, at one point he, he brought his wife, his second wife or his ex-wife, and she clearly did not want to be there, uh, and, and actually left halfway through his testimony. And so, you know, I looked at him and I said, you know, we're, we're the same, you and I in the want and need to love and be loved. And it was, I just had this realization sitting there looking into his eyes that, 
the lies and the deception and the greed all came from a deep, deep void that he has in his life. And that void is lack of love that he's trying to fill with other things. But of course, we know you can never fill that void with certainly not lies or even money that has to be filled with love and connection and belonging. And I saw a man that was struggling. And so, uh, you know, people were talking about my composure on the stand, but I really found that in my compassion for him as seeing him as another human being that was really struggling. I've actually never met anybody that hasn't uh, been hurt themselves that is actively hurting other people. I mean, that's what a beautiful and perfect segue into uh, what you're doing now and, and what you've turned this tragedy into this incredible foundation that you've created and, and the message that you that Elizabeth is helping uh, amplify. Um, and I'd love to talk about about that, you know, and one of the reasons I, I'm I find this so extraordinary is because in the wake of these mass shootings and what there's been 300 over 300 350 since since you lost your son uh all anyone ever talks about is guns you know gun control gun control gun control go out and buy more guns go out and buy you know you always see after every mass shooting gun sales go up in this country the next day uh you know there's this, these spikes in gun sales because because people are, I don't know, they're maybe, what they're either they're afraid they want to protect themselves because they think the answer to shooting is to arm everybody and arm the teachers, or they think that people are going to pass laws to take their guns away, so they better stockpile them and get as many as they can. Then everybody else says, we got to pass gun legislation, gun control, gun control, gun control. And that's all anyone ever talks about. Gun, gun, you know, it's all about the guns. And you are the person you are a person who was directly impacted by by this you are the person who i mean you know you you have lived the thing that is everybody every mom every parent's absolute worst nightmare and fear and and you've experienced it first firsthand and what's extraordinary is you don't ever once talk about guns and gun control or or I don't even know what your position is and I'm not even going to ask you what your position is because what your message is, it's all about nurturing and healing and love. And, you know, again, I, I grew up in, in the criminal justice system and, and it was all about punishment and there's a movement in criminal justice now about restorative justice and it's about healing and it's about love and putting uh, people in a same, you know, if, if you've done a harm to somebody and committed a crime and there's a victim, you you have a facilitated discussion where you put people in the room together, kind of what you got to do with with, with Alex Jones. And you have a, a, a discussion where you you hold the person accountable and you talk about how it made you feel and they talk about what happened to them. And it's in some ways a healing uh, for both. And it's it's an incredible movement. I've actually watched it in in a homicide um, case with the family member of the deceased and and the person who um, who who committed the murder. And it was it was you know the person was still punished, but but yet it was so healing for both. And and it's this movement that's happening in criminal justice far too late. I mean, it, this should have happened a long time ago. But here you are doing the very thing. Um, and and I just 
if you wouldn't mind talking about about it, how it was inspired by Jesse, that there's science behind it. I mean, it's I, I you know I watched a couple hours. I actually watched. Um, there's a lot. Uh, there's YouTube's and and TED talks and all the stuff that that you're doing, and I feel. I just think you are onto something extraordinary and big, and uh, I, I think it's going to be everywhere in every school, in every prison. Um, and so I, I would love to. Um, I think, I think if I could turn it over to to the two of you um, to talk more about it, I, I just think it's incredible. Well, I, I just have to say I've been in the privileged position that you're in, Karen, to be able to ask Scarlett a million questions. Mm-hmm. So I I have not so much to say, but more a question, Scarlett, which is, you know, would you share with everybody where the nurturing, healing, love testimony sort of came to you in the process of after Jesse's murder and, you know, and what that meant for you as a person um, and, and how it really redirected you as a person as his mother in the wake of that murder and what it reminded you of in regards to how you wanted to move through your life, because he was, as you said to me once, your greatest teacher also. Absolutely. And, you know, um, you talked about uh, a little bit about the gun control efforts, creating the biggest run on guns that we've ever known in our country. And my number one priority was to keep our kids safe. I I knew that what happened at Sandy Hook was 100% preventable. And so I looked at the efforts until that time that we had taken. And uh, one of those things was gun control, which wasn't working. Uh, One of those things was anti-bullying and, uh, you know, a focus on the actual bully, uh, anti-bullying, a double negative, that wasn't working. Um, And then to expand that a little bit, our mental health efforts weren't working. Our substance abuse efforts, the war on drugs. I mean, we have more drugs in our society now than ever before. So I thought, wow, what we've been doing is focusing on the problem and watching the problem grow. So I'm not going to do the same thing over and over expecting a different result. I'm going to go a different way and uh, address the root cause. And actually, Jesse helped me tremendously in my focus. The first time I went back to this little farmhouse that I shared with my two boys as a single mom, I noticed that he had written a message on our kitchen chalkboard and this was shortly before he died, so I didn't find it until his uh, after his murder, but he had written three words, nurturing, healing, love. And I was astounded because I knew that if Adam Lanza had been able to give and receive nurturing, healing, love, the tragedy would never have happened. Someone that loves themselves and can love and connect with others is not going to want to harm themselves or others. And it just seemed so simple to me, but simple isn't always easy. I knew that 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 was the direction that I had to turn to, that that was the root cause of, by the way, almost all the suffering that we have in our society. And so I I literally founded the Choose Love movement in January of 2013 and started to go to work. And this is what I've done seven days a week since is focusing on this message of nurturing, healing, love, and speaking to as many audiences as I can, providing as much awareness. We're now, uh, I think, seven years after releasing our comprehensive 
no cost life skills program. And I'm very uh, adamant that it be no cost because this would have saved my son's life and it can reduce and prevent so much suffering. We're now in over 10,000 schools, 120 countries. And I will say, I love to be able to announce on your show that um, we have launched a Choose Love for Prisons program as well. And uh, the Department of Corrections in New Hampshire has launched this in a prison uh, there. They have done some research on it and revamped it a little bit. And now it's going in, it started in the women's prison. Now it's going into the men's prison. And they are going to give us this program um, to put on our website so that we can release this to other uh, other prisons across the country. I One of my most rewarding, I think, audiences is talking to prisoners and telling them about the story, Jesse's tremendous courage, so opening hearts, which then opens minds, but also giving them this understanding that there is a choice. And a lot of times they tell me, hey, we never knew that we had a choice. All we knew was anger, hatred, and revenge. And you hurt me, and I'm going to hurt you and the ones that you love even more. But given a choice of love, which do you think that they would choose? They just didn't know that they had the choice. And so we have this very, whoops, it's, it's backwards, powerful formula that literally is a uh, enables you to thoughtfully respond to get in between what's happening in your life and your response and choose love as your response because of course you're fully in your power when you do that it's absolutely amazing so there's so much so many things i want to talk to you about, about this um so much of what what i'm i learned when i was uh learning from you about this is that children the, the science has shown you 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 have educated people uh that children are taught to hate right that they are born to love and and taught to hate and so you you learned for example that adam lanza had all had a childhood of missed opportunities right and Absolutely. so so talk talk a little bit about that and why you think this could have saved your son's life absolutely i mean i i knew that someone that could have done something so heinous must have been in a tremendous amount of pain and it turns out that he was he was neglected uh he came to school and had needs that were known that weren't met uh he was bullied uh he was um most likely abused during during uh during his schooling um by perhaps a teacher and um it, it's it it didn't surprise me without the essential life skills being taught that that we need by the way we're not born with these essential life skills and i'm talking about the ability to um make connections have healthy relationships manage our emotions um the ability to uh self-regulate to make responsible decisions to process pain i always say there are two immutable forces in life love and hurt and pain and we're all going to feel them we know we don't want our children to feel them 
We know that they're going to feel hurt and pain. And so it's our responsibility to give them the skills and tools they need to process that pain. They should be able to learn from it, grow through it, and be strengthened by it. And actually, if you think about it, that's how we grow as human beings. You talked about there being science behind all of this, usually decades. This is called post-traumatic growth. We literally can grow through difficulty. And most people that I tell that to have never heard of that before. And so really, really important that we give our kids this awareness that that's a possibility, that difficulty that happens in their life is literally an opportunity for growth. It changes the dialogue from fear to love. And that is exactly what we teach in our programming. It's amazing. And so you feel compassion towards um, Adam Lanza, right? And you've forgiven him, it sounds like. Absolutely. I feel compassion for him. Uh, and, and I have absolutely forgiven him. And here's the thing. I mean, I've gone through this whole process and I've learned myself. I didn't have these essential life skills that I'm talking about when I started, um, but I've learned them through creating this program. And one of the one of the biggest things that I've learned is the power of forgiveness. And uh, a lot of people don't really understand what forgiveness is. We think and, and we say, oh, forgive and forget. Um, but obviously there are things that happen that you will never forget. And one of the other big things is that we think that forgiveness is a gift that we give the person that hurt us, that most likely doesn't deserve it, doesn't know, doesn't care. Um, when in reality, and all of the decades of research on the benefits of forgiveness point to forgiving being a gift for the forgiver. And so I learned so much about forgiveness and people, uh, I've gotten a lot of attention for forgiving Adam Lanza. People say, oh my gosh, how can you forgive the man who murdered your son? And I, I think to myself, gosh, after looking at all the research behind the benefits to me, how could I not? Uh, you have uh, less, less anger. You get your personal power back. It helps you in your relationships. It elongates your life. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I think it would be, can you imagine a world where, and, and actually we're creating it. And the really crazy thing is, you know, this formula with four character values, forgiveness is the favorite character value for kids of all ages, because they say it's like a superpower and they say it feels so good to let it go. Did, you forgive, you, it? did you forgive Alex Jones? I did. I wow. did. actually, um, And actually I was quoted in a, an article written by my alma mater, which is uh, Boston University. That was the headline. Sandy Hook mom forgives Alex Jones. And actually, uh, I was crossed. That was one of the, the crosses for me um, by the opposing attorney uh, about that. And, you know, I had to explain to the jury and it was a beautiful moment. I was so excited that he asked me this question because we're live streaming on YouTube to the world. There's an HBO camera here for a documentary. I've got these incredible jurors. 
uh, doing their patriotic duty here. And I got to tell the whole courtroom about forgiveness and what it actually means, because a lot of us don't understand that forgiveness it doesn't mean that you don't hold the person who hurt you accountable for their actions. You have to. And I use the example of rape. You know, a, a rape victim almost has an obligation to hold the rapist accountable or they might go out and rape again, um, but they can forgive for themselves. And it's literally one of our lessons that we teach in the program. It's like uh, a choice and it's like having a pair of scissors cutting a cord that attaches you to pain and taking your personal power back. Of course, it doesn't mean that all of the pain and anger magically disappear. Um, it's It starts with a choice and then it's a process that you continue to have to do sometimes um, and maybe for the rest of your life. But the outcomes uh, based on the research and, and how it makes you feel uh, definitely make it worth it. Wow. So can you talk a little bit about what you and Elizabeth and JT are uh, doing together? Because it's a really exciting work that you guys are doing. Well, I, I want to say one thing, which is every time I see you, Scarlett, I, it never ceases to amaze me how you remind me to tell the truth. And I think that is standing in our power. And that is the most loving act towards others and also ourselves. And it's just been such a privilege to be your friend, to be on this journey with you a little bit. Um, I was approached by our mutual friend to play Scarlet in a movie and direct the film. And so we have written, we've gotten a screenplay written by JT, um, Jesse's brother and Scarlet's son. And um, we're taking that out to buyers to produce. And again, it's to amplify the message. You know, it's, it's about Scarlett's commitment on behalf of Jesse to be a hero on behalf of others. And that I think for me is the greatest takeaway from being privileged to be Scarlett's friend and on this journey with her, which is the lesson that Jesse taught all of us, which is to be a hero on behalf of other people, to do the brave th thing, to stand in the discomfort of telling the truth. And I know that's what you did recently. So I love you. <laughs> I love that JT is doing it with you guys, that he's a part of this. And how has this been? I, I feel like he, he gets lost in the conversation, right? Um, how, he was, what, 12 years old at the time? One of the most formative, formative years. And he lost his little brother. I mean, how does, how, how is he? Is he? It sounds like he's amazing, but how, how is he? Yeah, he's doing incredibly well. He just graduated from University of Connecticut and he wants to be a script writer. And really, that's one of the ways that he healed. He would uh, write scripts and he met one of the script writers from Family Guy. They would meet once a month and JT would work on scripts and he would mark it up and give it back to him. And he just has this passion for writing and and writing humor. So uh, not not that the uh, movie script that we're working on or that that he has written is is humorous, but uh, that's that's the kind of script writing that he really loves to do. And I I can see that that's kind of how that he's dealt with his pain, which is really interesting to me. And he's he's an amazing young man. I mean, he's uh, uh, 
ran for state Senate when he was 18 because he saw one of our senators not returning my calls or emails and my frustration at that, just trying to connect with someone who ran on an education platform, trying to share my message about keeping kids safe. And so, you know, he's, he's really seen a lot and he also has it in his heart to be part of the solution. And uh, I couldn't, I'm just absolutely so proud of him. Wow. Well, I think great things are going to come of him. I can't wait to watch all all the things he does. So uh, are there any, um, I I have two more questions. Number one, are there any parting words you have uh, for the legal AFers who who watch this? Um, But my other question is, I I know that people are going to want to get involved or somehow be a part of the solution. And what, what can they do? Uh, what can they do to help this incredible, incredible movement that you have going? Thank you so much, Karen. Well, the website is on my backdrop here, and there's so many different ways that you can get involved. This is literally a movement, and it was named that on purpose because it is going to take each and every one of us taking responsibility for what's going on in our world in order to create the world that we want to live in that's safe and that's peaceful and loving. And so we have really relied on word of mouth and referral for our programming. And you can see that it's now being taught in every state and 120 countries. So really the biggest thing that people can do is help spread the message. If you know an educator, tell them about it or an administrator. Uh, We have a a home portion to our program. Um, Bring it into your home, sign up for our newsletter, share it on social media, donate. I mean, there are lots of different ways to help. Um, and we appreciate every single person who steps up to the plate for that, for sure. What's what's the website? Where do they go? They go to chooselovemovement.org. Great. And everything that we have is no cost. So any educators out there that are listening, you can access our programming for free. You just register. And uh, anybody that works in prisons, very shortly, we're going to have our prison program up. So sign up for the newsletter and we will be announcing that shortly. Well, I I would love to um, help bring that to New York City and New York State prisons. I think that would be incredible. So excellent. So we'll we'll do that together, hopefully. Um, any, Any last words before we before we leave? either of you you want if there's anything else you want to say um so uh, all right well i am i feel like fate brought us together um i cannot thank you enough for spending this time with us and you are an inspiration to everybody just that you can be the incredible force that you are and in the face of of tragedy use it to help others and i cannot thank you enough for everything that you do i feel honored to have met you and i'm so appreciative that you would spend spend this time with us and and elizabeth fate really did bring us together thank you so much for making this introduction and uh good luck with your project i can't wait to see it thank you so much thank you